That is such a great word, choir. Thank you. That blessed my heart. And uh, I could tell from the number of haw oh, and at the end of the song that it touched some people, at least in this section, too. And uh, they're, they're, they're singing from their life experience today. And you could see that. And that's beautiful because we do have a God who is so intimately connected to every, everything that we're going through. And he's still on the throne. Regardless of, of what you came in with today, regardless of the problems and the concerns and the worries and the cares of this life, God loves you. And he's on the throne today. And he's unshakable. And his purpose for you is unstoppable. And he's got something to do in your life. Cling to that today. Cling to that today. We have a good God who is ministering in our lives. Is he not? Amen. Amen. Turn with me today, if you will, to the book of First Peter. Chapter 4. On the other side of grace is the glory of God. I know what you might be thinking. Hey, 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 wait a minute. I was here last week. Pastor Matt, you told me that on the other side of glory, or on the other side of grace, is love for one another. How can you be saying this week that on the other side of grace is the glory of God when last week you were arguing that on the other side of grace is love for one another. Doesn't that refute last week's message? Well, let's think about it for just a moment. Before the grace of God entered any one of our lives, we were pursuing the misery of living for the glory of self. We did what we wanted to. We sinned how we wanted to. We dismissed who we wanted to. We blamed who we wanted to. We pursued pleasure at the expense of others, and we loved so much only as to be loved in return. In biblical terms, that means we were dead in our sin because we were completely ignoring the fact that God has created us for His glory. God has created us to live in His glory. So before we come into contact with the grace of God, you and I, being dead in our sin, were living for ourselves, not living for Him, and thereby, on the other side of grace, we live for His glory. So let me ask you a number of questions this morning, and you can raise your hand if this applies to you. How many of you were once dead in your sin? All right, that's that's nearly all of you, and the rest of you will talk to you later. How many of you in the room have received God's grace? Good, this is going well. This is how I was hoping it would go. How many of you would rather live for God's glory than your own sin and selfishness? We're doing really good this morning. Then let me tell you this. One of your primary aims in life, if not the primary aim in your life, should be to love your Christian family. By this... Our God is brought copious amounts of glory. So when I say that on the other side of glory, or on the other side of grace is living for the glory of God, and I also say on the other side of grace is loving one another, it's because on the other side of grace we are living for the glory of God. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us to do what God has placed us on this earth to do, which is to love in the same way that He has loved us. They're synonymous, if you will. Now, I don't want you to take it at face value this morning. I'd like the Scriptures to prove the point. Let's take a look 
at 1 Peter, verse 4, 8 and following. We're going to be reading from the NRSV this morning. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's a powerful scripture that the Apostle Peter has written to us this morning. Let's talk for just a moment about the context into which First Peter was written. The people that Peter was writing to were a church, and they were an assailed church. If you think it's tough living as a Christian in 21st century America, imagine how hard it would be for a moment to live as a Christian in the first century Roman Empire. There was no such thing as a Christian until the apostles went out and started preaching about Jesus. There wasn't any Christians. And the apostle Peter being one of these initial apostles, this cannot be more than 30 or 40 years after the first message about Jesus Christ was proclaimed. Could you imagine for a moment if someone were to start a new religion right now, what would we think about these people? Goofy, weird, strange. What are they talking about? Now, the beautiful thing that the first century Christians had is they had the Old Testament, did they not? Which meant that they could look back at the scriptures and say, everything that we are saying about this man, Jesus Christ, has been predicted, foretold, and, and the prophets had been looking forward to the consummation of God's plan in history that happened in Jesus Christ. So they did have a, 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 a uh, 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 oh, I, I, I am completely fumbling. What do they have? Oh, they had a foretelling, but they had their ace in the hole, if you will, with the Old Testament. They had a beautiful thing sitting there that they can look, say, Jesus is all that God has intended for humanity. With that said, these early Christians were considered goofballs. They were considered weirdos. Many considered them subversives of the Roman state. There was even hints and there were even things written that these early Christians were cannibals since they liked to partake in the body and blood of some guy. This is true. It's It's history. And so, not only were these early Christians living in the same crud that you and I live in, you know, the fact that, you know, there's the problems of these life, there's health issues, there's money issues, there's business issues, there's family issues, all the crud that we deal with, but they are also living in a hostile society. And so Peter is writing to them, how are we going to survive as a community? That's the context, if you will, of First Peter. How are we going to make it? And then he has the audacity to say in verse 8, above all, this is how we're going to make it, folks, above all, maintain constant love for one another. Now, that's surprising to me because you would expect that someone with the, with the Jewish background, with the history that Peter would have, would say something like, above all, pursue holiness. Or, above all, obey the Lord. Or, above all, become a disciple. But he says, above all, maintain constant love for one another. This is how you're going to survive in this crazy, wild, hard world. How can the Apostle Peter be so mushy? That's what I want to know. How can he say it's all about the love? 
Well, because that's what Jesus said. We mentioned it last week, and you know this verse. You could quote this verse with me. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That was the word of Jesus. He, he did not say, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your level of holiness. He didn't say, by this all men will know you are my disciples uh, by your level of discipleship or your level of obedience. He says, by your love for one another. I am not taking those to the exclusion uh, or I'm not taking love to the exclusion of all those other concepts. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I'm trying to, to get across this morning, according to the Scriptures, that when we as the church adequately recognize that our holiness and our be- obedience and our discipleship can only be pursued in the context of loving community, when we as a church realize that, we're going to get on track. Our obedience, our holiness, our discipleship can only be pursued in loving community. It's what we're called to. Jesus called it the kingdom. Paul calls it the body. Peter calls it the royal priesthood. All of them at one point call it the church. But when we received the grace of God, we were meant to become like Jesus, and that means loving others above ourselves. And then and only then do we have the context by which we can reflect the Lord. We're not called to a mushy love. Love for love's sake. The church is not meant to be a grown-up version of Barney's Treehouse. We all love one another, share what we have, give big dinosaur hugs, sing songs together just so we can feel warm and fuzzy before we leave. Instead, the Apostle Peter is stating something that I want us to grab a hold of this morning and hold on to with all the strength that we have. Peter is stating that when we love one another... We bring glory to God. That if our, if our previous life was all about the glory of self, then our present life is all about the glory of God. And to bring glory to God, to use my phrase, to bring copious amounts of glory to God, we must love one another. When we engage in acts of love that we were created for, we are pursuing holiness. We read from Paul last week that the entire law is summed up in loving others as ourselves. And now Peter has the audacity to look at us and write, above all, before this statement on love. Now I know what some of you might be thinking, and I'm going to take a sidebar for just a minute. Where is the snazzy intro this week? Where are are the couple of jokes that get us warmed up to the message? What's going on here this morning? Well, what I'm trying to do in a very serious fashion this morning is to make a biblically-based theological case for love being the primary attribute of the Christian fellowship. This is a big deal. Because I'm arguing something this morning that is incredibly important for our Christian understanding. And so if we don't dive into the Scriptures and let them speak, and really set this precedent that the primary attribute of the Christian fellowship is love for one another, we're going to be in deep trouble. Because we are an evangelical, non-denominational church. Do you know what those terms mean in terms of arguing something like this? You should be looking at me and going, does the text really say that? There's no denominational protection for you here this morning. 
Where, where, where's, our, where's our bishop? Where's our overseer? Where's our district headquarters? That if this is not a theologically based concept, we'll come in for you and say, get that guy off the stage. We're going to banish him somewhere else. We're going to banish him to a place with three people. There's nobody here to do that. We have to be in a place, church, where when we make huge statements like love being the primary, the primary thing in our Christian fellowship, when we make a huge statement like that, we better engage in the theological and biblical task with some seriousness. That doesn't mean that I can't make a quip or two. What I'm saying is, we are, we are going to be making the case, we made it last week, we're making it this week, and we're making it in the weeks to come, that this is the primary attribute of Christian fellowship, because throughout Christian history, there have been other things that have been lifted high as the primary attribute of the Christian fellowship. And you know what those things are, from different churches and different denominations and different groups, there are other things that are lifted as the primary attribute of the Christian fellowship. Just to use an example in the Catholic Church, it would be what? The Mass and the Eucharist. Those are lifted high. We have had churches within the history of the Christian overall church who have lifted holiness to such an extent that we would chafe at what they would expect us to do to pursue holiness. There are other groups who would lift high something other than what we're lifting high as the primary attribute of the Christian fellowship. That's why the seriousness this morning. And... To be honest with you, when we engage in this biblical task as a non-denominational evangelical Christian, you need to be questioning and going, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? Now, I don't want a flood of emails tomorrow, but what I'm saying is, if I get one or two, that's okay. That's okay. You know, you have a right to delve into this and go, is this really what the Word is saying? That's your right. You know, people died for that right. Why the sidebar this morning? Because we're arguing something huge. Okay? We're not arguing something that everyone's together on within the Christian community worldwide, are we? Okay? So when I say love is the primary attribute of the Christian fellowship, I say that because the Apostle Peter, friend and disciple of Jesus Christ, had the audacity to write above all. Propos. Over everything. Above everything, maintain constant love for one another. Primary in living out our faith must be our love for one another. Now, before I go on to get to the three sub-points that the Apostle Peter so nicely writes, because he knew people would be preaching sermons on this later, we all know, we all know that there are people out there who believe that they can live the Christian life outside of the fellowship of other believers. I don't understand how they can read 1 Peter chapter 4 and believe that. Because in that case, they are living the same uh, self-centered life that they were living before. Because they can pursue holiness and discipleship and, and obedience till they are blue in the face But Jesus Christ and his apostles who wrote the New Testament for us make it abundantly clear that we can only experience this Christian walk with one another. Abundantly clear. And they may say, well, I'm living for God now, but their lifestyle is speaking a selfishness born out of pride. 
born out of pride. I'm cool with God. Jesus desired that we live in community with one another. A community of love. Now, I'm not harping on all the people who aren't here this morning. That's not my point. My point is, next time that your brother or your sister or your, or your nephew or your niece or your cousin or your good friend says, I'm just moving along in the Lord with my home Bible studies every Sunday. You say to them, that is not what Jesus intended. That is not what the Lord intended. We cannot live this life unless we have practical displays of the love of God shooting through our lives by displaying, as we'll see in a moment, the manifold graces of God. Now, what does Peter say here in verse 8? Now, let's get to some sub-points. First, he says, maintain constant love for one another. Yuck. Constant love? I am a scheduled love kind of guy. I do not want to maintain constant love. Constant love keeps me vigilant. Scheduled love keeps me happy. You know what I mean, scheduled love. Yeah, I will be happy to help you with that between 9 and 11 Saturday morning, but at 11, I'm out. Yes, I will be happy to to give that to you, but you give something in return. Let's schedule the reciprocity here. We are scheduled love types of people. We like to give on our own time, on our own schedule, with our own intent. And we don't give to each other in a very constant way. We like to do things our way and give only so much as we choose to give. And then we're off the clock and we're back to self. You know exactly what I mean. I'm off the love clock and I'm back on the self clock. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have a big, long week and then go watch your favorite movie and eat some popcorn. That's, and I'm not saying you have to wake up every morning going, who am I going to love today? You know? That is not the point that I'm trying to make. You have to have some sanity in your life. Some of you are introverts. You need some time alone. That's okay. What I'm saying is you, you can't just schedule your love. Life isn't that simple. We have to have a bigger heart than that, and a more open heart than that to maintain constant love. Because you know what? It may not be very convenient to love me when I need it most. But I need you to. And it may not be very convenient for me to love you when you need it most, but you need me to. That's constant love. Regardless of the time or the season, we can't just schedule our love. We have to have more of an open heart. The problem for so many of us is our life is not open to other people because our lives are so narrow. We've got our own problems. We've got our own stuff to deal with. We've got our own struggle. We've got our own busyness. We've got our own schedule. And our lives become very narrow when we focus on one another. But in order to maintain constant love, we have got to get out of the narrowness. Who here has problems? That does not excuse you from loving others. We would like it to, wouldn't we? I got problems. You got problems. I know some of you got problems. We all have them. That does not excuse us from loving one another. Well, my problems are bigger than theirs. Oh. The stuff we fool ourselves into and give ourselves excuses not to give of ourselves to others, it's sick. It's the enemy. You know what? Jesus had problems. He had a whole mess of Pharisees and scribes running around trying to trap him his entire ministry so he could kill them, or they could kill him. Not only that, 
He was busy all day, every day, healing sick people, lame people, lepers, people who needed from him constantly and were taking from him constantly. Of course, he had that whole mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God from the Father above in the midst of all this, and he has to deal with a bunch of disciples who don't quite get it. And as if, as if this hard work that he was engaging in and loving others wasn't enough, he was looking forward the entire time to a horrid death on the cross. Jesus had problems. You know, you got problems. Jesus had problems. His family didn't even support his ministry. Come on now. Jesus had problems, but he loved with all that he had. Love covers a multitude of sins, says Peter. And we were having a great discussion about this in the office today. What exactly does that mean? Well, we found out as we looked into the Greek, this is not the word for atonement. You know how cover and atonement are the same words, that, that, that uh, scriptural concept of our sins being washed away by the blood of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ? This is not that word for atonement. This is just the simple cover it up, the band-aid, you know, the, the, the scarf, whatever, cover it up, all right? So uh, the Apostle Peter is not arguing here that we have the ability to forgive one another's sins and cover them over in a, in a heavenly sense. In a very earthly sense, what he's trying to argue is that we have the opportunity to see the sins and weaknesses of others and cover them over in order to love one another. You see, the problem when you begin to love one another and you begin to get closer to one another is you begin to realize the sins and the weaknesses of the person that you're loving. I mean, anybody who's ever gotten married knows exactly what I'm talking about. You go from this great, uh, you know, dating and engagement and all this, and then you move in with one another, and then you are completely exposed in terms of your own sin and your own selfishness and who you really are and what you really want out of this life. You get exposed by that. Same thing in Christian community. The closer we get, the more I'm going to notice your warts and the more you're going to notice mine. In fact, using this covering idea, I like to just think of it as open, festering wounds. <laughs> Had lunch yet. You know, I, I, I just... Because that's what they are. You really begin to see things in others that make you go, Ooh, oh, no. I do not want to be around them. Yuck. That's disgusting. Open, festering wounds, you know? Things that, that, that would make us go, ah, I love you from a distance. And there are sins. We've been exposed to them, other Christians with this problem or that. But, you know, sins. Drunkenness or gambling or gossiping or lying or, 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 or immorality. All the things that we get exposed to when we get close to someone and begin to realize they're, they're still a sinner. They're saved by grace, but they got a lot of sin going on in their life. But there, there's other things that, that we wouldn't so much as call sin that just annoy us. I know we have brothers and sisters in here, and maybe you think it's me that just talk too much. You get close to somebody, you think, they talk and talk and talk. I would love to say something. I'm out. This is one of those brothers and sisters I'm going to love from a distance. We also have the mopey brothers and sisters here in the church. You know what I'm talking about, the mopey ones. The one, oh. You're like, how you doing this morning? <gasps> Plater warts, you know? There's nothing really wrong going on in their life, you know? But they, they just walk in, you know, needing nine prayers because the, planter's warts, you know? Mopey Christians. 
brass Christians. Some of you, the things you say, I just think, shut up. Why would you say that in, 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 in any type of public forum? Be quiet, you. Be quiet. And, of course, my favorite is Christians who are allergic to asking questions, meaning that they come in and they will tell you everything that is going on in their life, and then they'll be like, all right, I'll see you later. <laughs> and they walk away. They don't ask you one question about your own life. And you're like, okay, that was fun. This is real community, back and forth. You know, we all have stuff. You probably got a list of nine or ten things just for me, you know. That happens. We're in community. You know what we're supposed to do with that? Put the Band-Aid on it and move in. We can't heal the wound. The Greek proves that. This isn't the word for atonement. Only Jesus can bind up that wound. But until such time, we cover it over and we love anyways. Even if we are annoyed, hurt, angry, bitter, cover it over and love anyways. Turn with me, if you will, for just a moment. I want to show you that this is the very nature of God. It's, you're going to find this in Romans chapter 9. And Tina, just to give you a heads up, we're going to go four verses further than I said we were going to go. So God bless you as you try to catch up with that. Romans chapter 9, verse 22. One of my favorite passages in the Bible to prove to you that this covering over and ignoring for a time is the same nature as our Lord. Verse 22 of Romans 9. What if God, remember this term from last week, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the object of wrath that are made for destruction? And what if he has done so in order to make the riches of his glory, uh, make known the riches of his glory for the objects of his mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, including us whom he has called not only Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not my beloved, I will call my beloved. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the children of the living God. Did you see that? It says God has endured our sin with much patience. With much patience. So that he might show what? Mercy. What for? His glory. When we bear, let me go with one more thing before I turn back to why so that those that were not called loved are called loved. That's the nature of our God. Let's cover that over. I'm going to bear patiently with you. I'm going to love you in spite of your sin. I'm going to love you in spite of those things that just turn me off to you. I'm going to love you regardless because mercy is my nature. And my grace brings glory to my name. Our mercy and grace towards one another brings glory to the Father. It does. One more point before we move on from this. Acknowledging that we must cover up one another also acknowledges that there's sin. So it doesn't mean that we just look at one another who would be in, in sin and just go, well, we're just going to pretend that's not the case. That's not what we're called to do as Christians, and that's another sermon for another day. But to cover the wound acknowledges the wound, right? So a different sermon for a different day about how to have balance with that. But the idea here is not that we just go, oh, we're just going to pretend that they're not drinking themselves to death. No. What it is is I'm going to love you in spite of the fact that you're drinking yourself to death because we're in loving community. I'll talk to you about it. I'll pray for you. I'll try to get you to the right place. 
but I'm going to love you in spite of that. Amen? Let's move on. Be hospitable without complaint. In other words, hold your stuff openly to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's God's stuff anyways, as we just heard. Hold your stuff openly. Gina and I had the opportunity to go visit my brother and sister-in-law when we were on vacation a few weeks ago, and it was one of those places that you just walk in and you go, yeah, you can grab the remote in that place. You can, you can change the channel. That is hospitable. You know what I'm talking about, men. You do not want somebody grabbing your remote. I grabbed his remote. I changed the channel. They said, they said, get in the fridge, get whatever you want, and you know how you, you know, you're staying with your house guest, and you keep asking, hey, do you mind if we, they're like, just get it. Just do it. Be hospitable. Open your life. I remember a few years ago, I made a trip up to a friend's house in Detroit, and you, you would never know this person, so I can tell this story. And we were staying with his parents, and his dad was coming in on a plane, and he said, hey, you and me and my other buddy were on this trip up to my, my friend's house. He said, do you want to go pick up my dad at the airport? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we've never met your dad. That'll be great. We'll go pick him up at the airport. We're all going to have dinner later. This will be great. And so we get in the car, and we sit in the back seat because, of course, this is his dad. We want him to sit in the front seat of his own car. And we sit in the back seat. We get him into the airport, and he, this, this guy sits in the car and does not acknowledge my or my other friend's presence. You know, not even like a, or a, Hey, guys, just sits down and starts talking to his son. I thought, this is a little weird. Did he not see us? Did, I mean, I mean I'm, a, I'm a sort of a big guy. The guy that was next to me was even bigger. I thought, there, at least with the shocks, you should be feeling that there's people in the back seat. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Doesn't say a word to us. 30-minute trip back to this guy's house. We sat at dinner. He never addressed us one time. Never said anything to us like, so where are you guys from? Hey, are you a friend of my son? Nothing. And I remember we, we, we stayed in the basement. They had air mattresses out for us. And I looked at my buddy Chris who, who was with me. And Chris just goes, skiff? And I said, yeah. He goes, have you ever been more uncomfortable in your entire life? <laughs> I said, no. I want to get in the car and get out of here. We've got to stay here two more days. It was horrifying. You know, we have the opportunity to make people feel that way. This is our home church. This is the place from which we offer our hospitality. We can make people feel like those two guys in the basement going, I just want to get out of here. We need to open up our lives, open up our church, and look for the people that come in these doors to be hospitable to. It's the way we show our love. I mean, walk in the door. Hey, you find your own classroom. You find the coffee. You find the service. Hopefully you enjoy it and get blessed. You know? Come on now. Come on now. Sometimes we treat this place like my friend's dad treated us. Hope you, hope you have a nice time, but I'm not going to speak to you. You know? Let's get with it, folks. Let's be hospitable. Let's give out of what God has given us. And it says, without complaint. And this has, this has so many variations, and I don't have time to go into all of them with our home and opening our homes to one another and opening our church to people who are not. I'm just saying, be hospitable without complaint. Open your life. But the final thing that we want to talk about for just a few moments this morning is this beautiful line, and this is going to be the launching point for next week. Whoever speaks, I'm sorry, verse 10, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, 
serve one another with whatever gift each one of you has received. God calls us the stewards of his grace. Do you know what a steward is? A steward controls the master's stuff. A steward controls and dispenses and uses for the glory of the master, the master's stuff. What an awesome responsibility, but what a freedom that we have, too, to be able to to give the manifold grace of God. That means various grace of God to other people. You say, well, I thought grace was just Jesus dying on the cross and forgiving our sins. No, that's, that's that's the beautiful, overarching grace of history. But when he says manifold grace, he means all the good gifts of God. We get to steward into the lives of others. We get to give into the lives of others. You know, God can miraculously supply peace. God can miraculously supply comfort, miraculously supply encouragement, miraculously supply finances, or miraculously provide other forms of provision. But it brings him glory when you, formally in your sin and your selfishness, pour grace into the lives of others. He can do it all himself, but he's pleased to use you. He's pleased to use you to steward his grace. You're not the child of the king who gets nothing with which to work. You have gifts to offer to the community in order to show your love. How many of you have ever had a micromanaging boss? I'm not raising my hand. I, <laughs> I, that, was, that was so you would raise your hands. No. I, I've had one in the, in the fast food industry. Uh, you know what I mean. You've had, you've had somebody that... No, we are very free here in what we do as staff, but I mean that. What, what I'm trying to say is you know what it means to not be given anything with which to work. You are just downtrodden. You know? That's not God. He's given you freedom to love, freedom to serve, freedom to do things as you see fit as long as His Spirit is working through you. That's part of the freedom that we talked about last week. You don't need to be like, oh, God is going to smite me because I'm just too busy this Saturday. Sometimes you're just going to be too busy on Saturday. Okay? But other times you're going to say, I got Saturday wide open to love and to serve. And I know exactly what God's calling me to in that situation. I get to steward the gift that He's given me. That's a beautiful picture. Do you know what the word for this various gifts is? It's charisma. Charisma. That's, that's, the, that's the plural of grace, which just means good gifts, you know, unmerited favor. We get to offer charisma into other people's lives. In essence, we all need to become, this is going to blow your mind, especially you former Baptists, we all need to become charismatic Christians. And I don't, I don't mean charismatic, necessarily, unless you want to, we'll pray for you after service. I don't mean charismatic, necessarily, you have to have certain spiritual experiences to call yourself one of the group. That's not what I mean. I mean it in the sense of how First Peter is writing it here. Which is, we pour the charismatic gifts, the good gifts of God, into the lives of others, whatever he's given us. You need to become a charismatic Christian. One who says, I know what God's called me to. I know what he's given me. I know that he has poured so much into my life, and now I'm going to pour into the lives of others. That's the kind of love that God has loved me with. That's what happens on the other side of grace. I become a charismatic Christian. I start pouring grace 
unmerited favor into the lives of other people. That's what Peter's calling us to. That's what keeps the church's head above water. That's what makes us not just the church with its head above water, but the church triumphant. That's what makes us a victory life church. We can, we can pursue all types of things to a blue in the face, but if we do not charismatically love one another, we've missed it. Peter says, above all. Jesus says, by this all men will know. Paul says the entire law is summed up in that we love one another and we pour good gifts into one another. God is not calling you to a mushy love just for love's sake. He's not calling you to a love that's meant to just receive because you gave. He's calling us to a real and a tangible love that loves for the glory of God. What better praise to the name of Jesus Christ than forgiven, former selfish sinners acting like the children of God. We love so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand together.